The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Go ahead and take your Bibles, if you don't mind, open the whip in the book of Matthew. When you get there, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, that's where we're going to be for really the majority of our time today. We will, if we get to it, we will turn back one page and we will likely turn forward a few, but it won't be very much. So if you can find Matthew chapter 20, you will be exactly where you need to be so that we can study together. And I remind you that I am dyslexic, so when we go to reading large portions of text, if you're not reading for yourself, you're getting misled, more than likely. I tend to miss a few words or maybe reverse some words, but nonetheless, if you're aware of that, I think you can overcome it uh, with your copy of the text, and I encourage you to use that anyway. Now, most of you have gotten turned there, so you can probably look down at the page. Maybe you can read a little bit of that text for yourself or maybe see a heading there. You already understand that we're going to be talking about what is often referred to as the 11th hour parable or the parable of the vineyards, uh, the kingdom parable that refers to that. Uh, but while you're kind of focusing on that or beginning to, I want to ask you a few questions, but I'm going to tell you up front, one of these questions will be legitimate. I would encourage you to answer it very uh, confidently. The latter two, just be hesitant, okay? That's my warning just because I want us to all understand where we're going. The first question, you can show your hands with this if you'd like. How many of you intend on going to heaven? That's my intention. That's my desire. Some would say that's my hope. I know that I can uh, because of obedience and being faithful to the Lord. I know that I can. So how many of us desire to go to heaven? I think every hand went up. I assume it did look like it. Second question, remember to be hesitant. How many of you would in turn say that you think you deserve heaven? Okay. I don't know if I hadn't warned you what the outcome would be, but I'm going to assume none of us have raised our hands for that. Nobody did. Third question. How many of you would say that you have in some way as being a faithful child of God that you have earned heaven? Still no no hands for that. I would agree with that as well. You and I understand, and you're in Matthew chapter 20, hopefully at this point, but if you want to turn to your right just a bit, over the book of Ephesians, this will just be a text that we'll bounce back from in a moment. You're familiar with it. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we learn a little bit about why and how we answer those questions because as far as it's earning heaven or deserving heaven or anything of that sort, we're hesitant about claiming that because of six of scriptures or texts like this. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says here, For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves, watch this phrase, for it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And most of the religious world stopped right there and said, that's it. You can't be saved by works. It's saved by grace alone and, and all of that. And, and if I were to answer that question to someone who asked, I would believe them or answer them in the affirmative. That is absolutely right. But you and I know, as we've been Bible students and read farther, verse 10 adds to that, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, watch this, unto good works before ordained that we should walk 
in them. That is, we are not saved by our works, but we are saved to do His work. And in a sense, we can't deny either the fact that in the process of being saved, there are works, if you will, that are done, but those works fall on the part of God. So in answering the question, do I want to go to heaven or do I expect to go to heaven? Yes. Would I then in turn say that I deserve to go to heaven? No, my sin itself would keep me from that if it were not for the blood of Christ. We learned that in Romans chapter 10 and verse, no, not there. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. And do I, have I earned heaven? No, because this text tells us that heaven itself or being a child of God's comes via a gift that is given. And as a side note, you could put out beside that, Luke 17 and verse 10, when Jesus gave his disciples the information to say that when you've done all that you've been asked to do, consider yourselves an unprofitable servant. So I just say that to kind of kick off this idea of us going to heaven. Yes, we desire to, we want to, we hope to, we can do. But then in turn asking ourselves, is it valuable to us based on the time frame we've been able to be children of God's? And is it equally or could it be equally valued to someone who maybe waited till the last day of their life to do it? There, that's why we get the idea of calling this in Matthew 20, if you want to turn back over there, if you've left it, the 11th hour parable. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 20. Let's read the entirety of the text together. Again, read for yourselves as well, but... Matthew chapter 20, Jesus here speaking in parables says, And the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder, and when he went out early in the morning to hire laborers on the vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into the vineyard. Verse 3, And he went around about the third hour and saw others standing in the marketplace. And said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hours. So he's already done this in, in total already, these one, two, three, four times. And he went out again about the sixth and the ninth hours and did likewise. And even about the eleventh hour, and he went out and found others standing idle. And saith unto them, Why ye stand here idle? And they said, Because no man hath hired us. And he saith to them, Go ye into the vineyard, into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto the steward, Call ye the laborers, and give them the hire, the beginning from, to, from the beginning the, to the last and to the first. So he wants to get the eleventh hours in and work in reverse order. Moving on, he says, And when they had came in, uh, they were hired. In the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. Verse 11, And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal to us? Ye have borne the burden of the heat of the day. And he answered them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not, didst thou agree with me for a penny? Take this thine, and go thy way, and give it unto the last, even unto the first, even as unto thee. 
It is, is it not lawful for me to do what is with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. So again, we've read through that, hopefully got through it decently, and you're familiar with it, but I just want to go through this again with you and discuss four to five, depending on our time, and I'll try to glance over there every now and then today, but four or five, depending on our time, some of the principles that we can learn from reading a parable like this. And if you want to put a title above this in your mind, or maybe if you're taking notes on a piece of paper, I have decided today cautiously and uh, kind of tenant, uh, what's the word, just a little, little bit weird about it, but I've decided to kind of entitle this, God may not be fair, but He sure is good. He may not be fair in the eyes of men, but He sure is good. So let's start noticing a few principles. First of all, backing up and looking again at around verse number 6, it told us there, and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why you stand here idle? And they answered, verse 7, Because when no man hath hired us, and he saith them, Go into the vineyard, and whatsoever, watch this, is right, and I will pay thee. So the first principle I want to notice is this, and it's pretty simple, but it's the main, I think the main thing of this, and that is that it is, ne it is always too soon to quit, but never too late to start. Now I've heard people and seen people make the accusation against this context, and say, well, yes, this is the 11th hour parable. And what this does is opens the door for what we might call deathbed repentance. And I don't know if you've known anybody that's actually committed to that or done that and, and probably kind of had a, a, a strange feeling about it or maybe a weird taste in your mouth over it. But I have known people literally who have decided in their last hours, maybe within the last few hours of their lives, that they then wanted to be baptized. They then wanted to be obedient. They then wanted to become Christians. And I've been present when some of those things have happened. Say, for example, in a nursing home where they had kind of a pool-type area and they literally took them down, wrapped up in bed sheets, and it was a struggle, but lowered them in the water and did that. And somebody will stand back and say, well, that, that there, that's deathbed repentance, and that's not fair. That shouldn't count. And, and it even question, will that matter? Will that count? And then they'll look at a parable like this, and they'll have a hard time trying to determine that. Because you see in this parable, the reward for that one that came late is equal to that which came first. As a matter of fact, in the latter part of it, the last verse, Jesus' illustration, he actually comes out and says, For the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. So it's like Jesus is giving some priority in parable to the one that comes in last. So people will argue over the ability to have a deathbed confession. They'll argue over the validity of someone who has a deathbed confession. And then they'll in turn argue in this even over the possibility that that would work. Here's the thing. This teaches us, again, in that principle that I'm laying out. It is always too soon to quit but never too late to start. 
I had a good friend of mine just yesterday, last night, and he has no idea, but I do plan to call him today. He's a preacher, friend of mine. He lives in Arkansas doing a great work. He was texting with me last night, talking back and forth, and started to tell me about three people that had been baptized in the last week, seven days, one of which was 84, one of which was 72, and the other, I think, was around 80. And what had happened in all three of those situations, the 84-year-old came to him. She was a member there where he happens to be the pulpit minister, what have you. He came, she came to him and said, I need to talk with you. They sat down and they talked. And she said, I was baptized when I was nine years old. I don't feel right about it. I'm not sure what I was doing at that point. I want to be baptized. They did that. About a week later, I believe it was, she calls him back on the phone now and says, can you come by the house? Sure, I'll come by. Goes by, and what's happening now is her husband, who everybody thought was a Christian, who actually was not, wanted to be baptized. Then the third one was some friend of theirs later on in the week who was baptized, yet in a denomination, and not therefore baptized for the remission of sins to begin with, who wanted to be baptized. All of them in the, quote, 11th hour. I'm confident that what those three individuals have done in these last week is going to allow them to stand in front of God with every bit of favor as I would or you would with decades under our belts. I'm totally confident of that. But I tell you what, we're more blessed. Because by not allowing ourselves to wait until the, quote, 11th hour, we have had also years or perhaps decades of time to serve God faithfully and to receive His blessings. It's always too soon to quit but never too late to start. I think overridingly that is the message of this entire parable. But there's more. Get back up to verse 2 with me now. That was around verse 6 and 7. You can just see that yes, some came in that latter hour. And, and the, the uh, account illustrates to us that basically what's happening now in their Jewish mindset, their Jewish days, their days existed basically from 6 p.m. one evening. This seems flip-flop for us. Their days began at 6 p.m. in the evening and went through the 6 p.m. of the next evening. Now, we do things differently. Ours changes at the midnight hour and yeah, whatever. We're half asleep when it happens, I guess, most of us at least. But theirs went from 6 p.m. to a.m. Or back to p.m. That's what I'm trying to say. From 6 to 6. And so what he's illustrating here is that some man steps out at 6 a.m. roughly in the morning. He steps out and he goes into a place. Now, in Jesus' day, especially in larger cities like Rome and Ephesus and other Corinth, they basically had castes of people. You can go out to the city square and it's almost like what we might call unions. They weren't necessarily unions, but organized groups of people. If you wanted a day laborer's job or something you could work 
consistently and maybe mix it up a little bit, you would go down to the squares and basically stand in your group. There would be those who worked in textiles, those who worked in, in uh, the shaping of iron or stone, those who worked more carpentry, those who worked in vineyards or we might call it in the fields, and you would get in your areas, and as these men came through that owned these businesses, they would pick and choose from those groups to carry them out. And so in this illustration here, this man comes out assumingly 6 a.m., and he gathers a group. He comes out assumingly then at the third hour, so 6, 7, 8, 9, and gathers a group. At the noon hour, and gathers a group at the three o'clock hour and gathers a group, and then it seems like in the 11th hour, maybe at about 5 p.m. and gathers a group. He takes them into these vineyards. So you can obviously see that some of them have come late, but not too late. But the secondary principle here again in verse two tells us, and when they had, or when he had agreed, who is that that is agreeing? The husbandman, the master of the field, comes out in that early morning 6 a.m. hour and he talks with these people and they agreed to be paid a penny. Put this principle down in your mind and we'll expand from that. Secondary idea is this, if you bargain with God, you will cheat yourself. In this first phrase here, verse 2, or latter phrase, it says, and they agreed with him. I was looking into that word a little bit this week. The word agreed right here, the word that backs it up. We read English, they had Greek. The word that backs that up literally means they bargained. It seems like there was some kind of negotiation. There was some type of exchange. I don't know what that is. To illustrate it in my mind, I'm thinking at least that the master comes out. He approaches the vineyard workers, their task or their union he approaches them and some of those men ask what would you pay he said well i'll pay a penny a day now don't be confused some of your translations may say denarii same thing same thing but that's a whole day's wage in their time uh, you probably wouldn't get me to pick a blade of grass for that unfortunately i'm lazier than that but for them it was a day's wage and what may have happened is he said i'll pay you a day's wage Somebody said, maybe, how about two pennies? He said, no, we're going to stick with a penny. They agreed on that. And that's key to this. This first group who ultimately would murmur and complain and have something to say about it and be jealous and accuse the master of not being fair agreed upon that amount. And so looking on down the page a little bit, you'll see a little bit of a contrast in verse 2. That is the only group that is spoken of. The first hour is the only group that is said to have agreed. Again, bargained. If you drop down the page, the ones that came later than that, verse number uh, 3 and 4, and when they went about the third hour, so 9 a.m.-ish, when they went about the third hour, he says he saw them standing in the vineyard. And verse 4 says, And said to them, Go into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. Next phrase says, And they went. Now, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I think, I think it could be the idea here that there were no negotiations. You see, they trusted the master. 
you drop down the page a little bit farther until you get into these other groups, such as the one that exists here in verse number 5. And when we went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, they did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, verse 6, he went out, found others standing, said, Why are you standing here? And they said, verse 7, No man hath hired us. And he saith unto them, Go into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right ye shall receive. That's a contrast. You see, on the one hand, this first group, they bargained with God a bit. They, they made an agreement. They said in the beginning, I will work for a penny. I doubt there was a signed contract, but there was more of a handshake, a good faith type of contract signed. I'll go and work. The expectation would have been in their day to work a full day, 12 hours perhaps. Till the next day began and they agreed these latter people had made no such agreement but had been promised they would be paid for their time in the end who gets a better deal from human senses the 11th for that matter the 11th the 9th the 6th and the third all did better for themselves that day than did the first. Why do I say that? Because I've seen it happen in my life and seen it happen in the lives of others that if I try to bargain with God and say, God, I'll do this if you'll do that. I don't know if you've ever been in trouble in your life in a, in a place where you, you say a prayer and not completely throw away those prayers. Those prayers need to be said. Who are we to cry out if it's not God? But to say to God, God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Well, from your perspective, a little bit down the road, it may seem as if God has done that. And he may very well have. I don't know. That would be providence, and I can't tell. But the thing is, we really don't know what God may have done otherwise. What if he had not had to pull me out of that drunken stupor to promise I would never drink again? Just a scenario. What if he had not brought us out of this adulterous relationship to live in faith to God? You know, what if, what if? We don't know. But we do know from many occasions throughout the Old and the New Testament that when we stop to bargain with God, we very well may be cheating ourselves. It's better to just, and we just mentioned this for the last as well, it's better just to serve God as soon as you will and as long as you can. Why wait? There's no reason. So that's one of the secondary principles. Another one that comes up here, and I'll just say this one up front, it is always wise to let God keep the books. Look again what happened to these people. When they come back in, they come back in from this day out in the sun, as they even admit the heat of the day had been upon them. It says, verse, uh, we'll pick up reading again in verse 8. So when it was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto the steward, Call ye the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last to the first. Now that's a peculiar way of doing that, but we'll see why in just a minute, why that really plays out as it does. And they came, and they that were hired in the eleventh hour, they received a penny. Now, 
this is the scenario, and you'll see that this more than likely is how things play out. The 11th hour folks are called up first, which I don't know why that was, but I can assume maybe the first laborers went out to the back of the fields and then the next, and you know, things got crowded. Maybe they were closer back to, to the pavement area. I don't know. But the 11th hour people brought back in, and when the others are kind of, kind of crowding in, lining up, the 11th hour men are handed a penny. It seems like someone in the back, maybe a third hour or a sixth or a ninth hour guy, maybe the first most likely, said, look, look, Bob. He was only here an hour and he just got a penny. Do you know what we're going to get? I don't know, but it's going to be good. The next verse, you keep reading, it goes on and says, uh, they brought in those 11th hours. They gave them a penny. Verse 10, But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And likewise received every man a penny. So I don't know if their expectations got high. And they said, look, they got a penny. So we, hey, we've been here 12 hours. A penny an hour maybe it was. Maybe we missed the agreement. Maybe we missed the agreement. Maybe it was supposed to be more. They get up. And when they received the penny, verse 12 goes on, or 11 says, and when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, They have wrought but an hour, but thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. This thou not, I've got this word highlighted, agree with me for a penny. You see, if you don't let God keep the books, you very well could overcompensate or undercompensate or pay yourself. How many times in my life, and I'll just admit they have been times, have I looked at my Christian life, my walk as a Christian, if you will, to use that a little loosely, have I looked and said, well, look here, God, what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I have done to serve you, to, to try to, to, to bring people to you. What I've done to try to teach, to try to preach. To what, look at what I've done, God. Shouldn't I get something more out of that? Well, I lived in Philadelphia, Mississippi. I preached over there, but I had a good friend of mine who was a member of the church there. He was a trim carpenter. He built cabinets and did all the trim in houses. Crown moldings, everything, you know, door facings. Uh, anything inside the house, he was the finisher. And I grew up in cabinet making, so we had some things in common. He would hire me, sometimes as a day laborer, as a friend to come and help. And I would go, and, and oftentimes, I'm not bragging on myself, I'm just saying the way it was, I would go and I would help, and he would always say, you're good help, because you can do for yourself. He'd let me go, I'd do this, and he'd do that. And At the end of days, I was just basically a day laborer, Sometimes I'd come and say, Big Al, that was what I called him. I said, Big Al, I can't come back the rest of the week. I've got this to do and that to do. He understood. And he would always reach in his pocket, a big old wallet, rolled up cash all the time. And he'd pull out $100 bills. That's all he paid in. <coughs> well, I might have worked, he was paying $20 an hour. I might have worked five hours. I might have deserved 100 A lot of times he'd give me 200 I'd say, hey, you owe, no, no. We didn't agree on anything. Take this. Now we had a third guy who came in sometimes, was another preacher from up the road, and I saw this literally happen. His name was Rick. 
Rick wasn't, Rick didn't know much about this stuff. Rick, you had to babysit. Rick could barely, you know, bring the lumber in and out for us. But Rick would work all day. And about half the time, he'd be standing outside talking to the brick mason or standing over here chatting with a painter and different things. And I heard him one day. I heard the conversation. He came up, similar scenario to mine. He said, Big Al, I got to go. I won't be back tomorrow. Can you pay me? He said, yes, I'll pay you. And without even a breath, Rick said, I've got 21 hours and 15 minutes. And Big Al said, why don't I just pay you for what you've done? And he gave him a $100 bill. You better let God keep the books. What we need in this life, and it's what we're about to step to, is we need God not to give us what we deserve or to try to be fair, but to give us what he wants. We'll do so much better. And that's the last one here. Drop down to verse um, 13. He paid them, of course, they've murmured, they've argued about it, they've even made the argument, they've been out there all day. But he answered and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Thou dost agree with me for a penny. Take thine it, take that thine is, and go thy way, and I will give to thee the last, even as unto thee. For is it not lawful to me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? And then that phrase, so the last shall be first. And the first last. Many are called, but few are chosen. What is this principle? This one's the one I want to get to next. Another man's blessing is not my loss. All right? I illustrated a moment ago with my friend's uh, recent recent uh, uh, connection with these baptisms, these uh, people who now come to be Christians and all. What if, and I'm assuming today would be some of their first times as a child of God, what if someone in the assembly, and it could happen, complained and said, why are you having them over for lunch all the time? Why are you treating them differently? Why are they getting favor or priority or why are we being we've been here the whole time why, why are they getting better treatment you know this this person here they waited 84 years they wasted their whole life true they wasted their whole life now they come in and they're brand new to the church and and look at all that what they get reminds me a lot of luke 15 what's luke 15 well several things but one of them is the, the uh, parable, uh, I just lost it. I know what it is. It's the account of the prodigal son. What did that elder brother do? He said, Father, I've been with you all these years. You've never killed for me the fatted calf. You've never placed a robe and a ring on me. Look at what I've never left you. You see, another man's good is not our loss. Now I want to show you that last phrase and then we'll get ready to finish. Look, you're in chapter 20 of Matthew. Turn back to chapter 19. Chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. So previous chapter, chapter 19, verse 16. We have there the account of what we refer to as the rich young ruler. Now, 
Matthew's account, Mark's account, Luke's account is where you have to gather that because you don't get all that information anywhere. One, one account he's rich, one he's young, and one he's a ruler. You pull it together, you see it. But in this account, Matthew's account of it, he comes to the Lord, Jesus, and he calls him good master, and he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How am I going to get what I want out of this life and more than that, eternity? Jesus' answer to him, look at verse... Um, Verse 17, and he saith unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good, that one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So in general, he says, keep the commandments. Now, Jesus lived and died under the old law. That was a reference toward the Ten Commandments, but a lot more than that. There's a lot more available to these people than the Ten Commandments. Those were the basis upon which other commandments were given. But he tells them to keep those. And then he adds, and he saith unto him, which, and he saith unto him, which Jesus said, thou, shalt, thou do not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And this man here went check, 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 and check. And then he said, verse number 20, he's young here. The young man said to him, I have done all these and I've kept them from my youth. What lack I yet? You know, what else can I do? Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect or complete, go and sell all that thou hast and give the poor and, 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 give the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But the young man, when he had heard that saying, went away sorrowful. We had great possessions. Now, I've oftentimes read that, studied that, examined that, walked away from it. Here's lessons learned. You know, put everything in God. All your focus, all your all has to be in God. Drop down the page just a little bit. Same context. Verse 23, And the disciples said unto Jesus, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man can hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say, is it easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God? And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying then, who can be saved? And Jesus beheld them. That is, he looked into their eyes. He beheld them carefully and, and said, with men, this is impossible. With all things, gods are possible. And this is where I want to get to, verse 27. And Peter, or then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all. We have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Now, I've, I've missed that. that. He just dealt with a rich young ruler, per se. And as they're discussing how can one be saved, and is it even possible... When Peter goes through that list, he thinks like the rich ruler. And he says, I've got all that. And I tell you what, I got more. We did follow you. We did give up everything for you. So what are we going to get? Hmm. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, That which have followed me in the regeneration of the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, and also shall sit on the twelve thrones judging Israel. And every one, I'm in verse 29, that hath forsaken houses and brethren and sisters and father and mother and wife and children and lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold than that which is in everlasting life. And I'm sure Peter thought that's what I was looking for right there. And then he said this, verse 30, Jesus, but many that are first 
shall be last, and that are last shall be first. So I don't know how long I missed that, but I missed it. Why did Jesus tell this next parable? Because his disciples needed it. This is not about the man or woman who comes from outside of these walls and shows up one day and says, I want to get what you've got, what you've labored so long for. This is toward or directed toward those who already hold the space but yet become disgruntled or murmur against the value that the Lord places even on that of the 11th hour. So the last statement here that we read a moment ago in verses 13, 14, 15 bring, like, bring to light this last principle. Do not look for fairness, but look for mercy. Remember, I hesitantly titled this, God may not be fair, but he sure is good. These men look for fairness. These early comers, they look back to the 11th hour and say, treat us right, we deserve more. No. You get what we agreed on. They get what they trusted me to give. That's the contrast. I've heard it defined before that if you break down the three things we typically associate with God and His benevolence toward us, we've got justice, we've got grace, and we've got mercy. Justice is basically giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us more than we deserve, but mercy is giving us what we do not deserve. We want mercy. Don't stand in front of God and demand justice. Ask and beg for mercy. Now, how does mercy come? Mercy comes as a result of accepting justice by grace. You have to kind of soak on that for a minute. Mercy comes as a result of accepting God's justice given by grace. You know, I, when I come here, I come and see a smaller group. I come and see, an, I think some of you would admit, an older group to an extent. I come and see a, a group of people or spend time with you and I love you that I don't know when when your journey with God began. I don't know if you were like that example earlier, eight, nine years old. I don't know if you were 90. But I know this. It's always too soon to quit, but never too late to start. My friend, and the successes, if you will, he told me about last night, was just a proven factor that that can be the case. So maybe you're here this morning and I've, I've misjudged you. Maybe I've looked at you and thought, well, every time I've ever been to Liberty, I've seen them in the pew, or every time I've ever known of them being around, I've, I've known them to be faithful. Maybe I've misjudged that. It, it may be the case that, like the case with my friend Aaron, that they had a member, so they thought, sitting there in the pew, who had never even been baptized. 
or maybe more likely someone like myself sits in a pew, holds a spot. But yes, I've been baptized. But the truth is I didn't go to work. Or maybe I have worked, but I've worked because I've waited all day on God to pay me so I could tell Him what I deserved. It's where I've fallen. It's where I stand. The invitation song has been chosen today. The invitation is open. It's open to those who are even in the 11th hour. Because God may not seem fair, but He's always good. While together we stand and sing.